Please turn to John 13 and 14, particularly into chapter 14. And we're going to look into these chapters, uh, the next four sermons, that's this Sunday and the following Sunday. And uh, this uh, this afternoon, this morning, I want to really just think one thought, which is, what happens if Jesus isn't here? So, um, there is such a thing as Ben and Jerry's ice cream, am I right? Okay, does anybody know who Ben and Jerry are? Some people from Vermont. Are they nice people? They seem to be nice people. Are they living people? We believe so. Okay. Thank you for that. I see that many of the people who refer to Ben and Jerry's ice cream have no idea who Ben is or Jerry and no idea what sort of people they are. And does it matter? Is the ice cream nice? Okay, that's the main thing, isn't it? Does it matter whether they ever even existed or whether it is a trade name and, perish the thought, there is no Ben and there is no Jerry. I mean, it might be the case. Uh, some brands are like that. They have, made, you know, it's, it's such and such farm, Sunshine Farm, and there is no Sunshine Farm. My mum used to work for a firm of solicitors called Doolittle and Dally. which you might say is an apt name for all solicitors. But uh, I really wonder, did Mr. Do, Mr. or Mrs. Doolittle and Mr. or Mrs. Dally ever exist? Or was it just a good name to put so that people would, oh, yeah, Doolittle and Dally. Good name for a solicitor's that. It's said of some of our politicians that they are... Uh, they are regular Anglicans. Now, do you think you could be an Anglican whether or not Jesus existed? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Do you think you could be, you could say, I'm an Anglican whether or not you thought Jesus was still alive? Interesting question. Do you think you could say, I am a Christian, whether or not Jesus ever existed? That's what I was going to say too. Um, Do you think you could say you're a Christian, whether or not Jesus is still alive? I think not. But that's what we're going to look at. Because Christianity is so much connected to the actual person, Jesus. We were just reading at home the other day when Jesus talks to the woman at the well and uh, she says, I've heard that when Messiah comes he'll explain everything to us and Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. It's me. And that is very typical of Christianity that it, it comes down to it's all about Jesus. You know, if you've heard this expression, uh, you know, it's, it's, all, it's not all about you, but, Jesus, but Christianity is all about Jesus. And what I want us to think about this morning is how impossible it would be to subtract Jesus from Christianity and be left with anything useful at all. I have to say, I think you could subtract Jesus from being an Anglican, 
I'm, I'm, this is slightly cruel, isn't it? You can say, well, I go to church, I come away from church, I say all the words, I stand up when everybody else stands up, I sit down when everybody else sits down. If that's what an Anglican is, I could be an Anglican. And you could do that whether Jesus existed or not. Now, pardon? Or a Baptist, but I'm just, I I was thinking of all the politicians that lined up and said they were practicing Anglicans. Uh, Which, uh, I'm I'm being a preacher, I'm just making a point, you see what I mean? No disrespect, I I just chose that as a particular example. How How could anyone be a Christian without Jesus's living personal presence that's what I'm going to ask and think about this morning and in the text that we have which was read the question arises because Jesus says to his disciples I'm going away turn to John 13 and 14 Jesus says in chapter 14 verse 2 I am going I won't be here any longer and for the disciples for the past three years they've gradually learnt that what they have is Jesus and then Jesus says I won't be here I'm going away and you wonder what they have left he says it in chapter in verse 3 if I go etc etc and verse 5 and Thomas says we don't know where you're going and you could almost detect the anxiety of the disciples the master's going. Well, what sort of mess does that leave us in? How can we be anything? You know, we were getting towards the idea of being Christians, except they hadn't called it that yet. But Jesus is going, well, what are we left with? Verse 12, um, Jesus says, um, something, 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 because I am going to the Father. And chapter 16, verse 5. Chapter 16, verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. So the disciples were really um, grieved by the idea that Jesus would no longer be there with them. So that's what we're thinking about. What happens when Jesus goes away? His absence is a big issue in the chapters that we have, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. His going was a big issue for the disciples. 13, 21. Uh, He has said, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus was very upset about that. It says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus was upset about it. And verse 33, my children, I will be, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. Imagine he puts himself like a parent and saying, kids, mummy won't be here much longer. Kids, daddy won't be here much longer. My children, I won't be here much longer. What a thing to say. What's in verse 36? And Simon says, where are you going? You know, like a child would say, you know, mum has cancer. 
says, kids, I'm afraid I won't be here much longer. Well, what's happening, mummy? Where are you going? Jesus was going away. And uh, I think I've already itemized quite a few of these verses. Uh, And Jesus speaks about the issue of his going. What will it be like, says Peter, when you're not here? How are we going to manage, says Thomas, when we're not here? And Judas, not Iscariot, says, what's going to go on when you're not here? And I want to ask whether we would have the same thought. How is it for you? Do you think Christianity, your Christianity, can function without Jesus? Would you carry on whether Jesus was there or not? Um, If you think of Shakespeare, well, Shakespeare doesn't have to be alive, does he? We don't even know, have to, we don't really know, have to know where Shakespeare lived. We've got his plays, that's enough, isn't it? J.R.R. Tolkien, none of us knows what sort of guy he was. We don't know what he was like to have dinner with. Um, we've got his books, we've seen his movies. He would have turned in his grave, probably. Do we miss him? No, life continues as normal without J.R.R. Tolkien. You can get the movies off Netflix or whatever it is, and that's fine. But the Christian life without Jesus, is that possible? Do we miss him? So can we do church if Jesus was no, no, not here? Would we just do the same things again? Come along at 11 o'clock, sing the first hymn, Say words into midair, do the next hymn, sit down, stand up, listen to a talk, go home. Jesus wasn't here, would we say, well, it doesn't matter. Live our lives, go to work, nine o'clock on Monday, come home, have tea, catch up with a DVD, whatever it is, do the gardening. Uh, do that whether Jesus was around or not. Did it make any practical difference? So why should, why should be, why should the presence of Jesus be a big issue? Because I think it should. I think we should be aghast at the idea of even thinking about doing church if there was no Jesus. Or living the Christian life if there's no Jesus. What in the text are the issues when Jesus goes? Well, here's one for a start off. Jesus was, uh, had the key role as an evangelist. All the people that had become followers had pretty much become followers of Je- because of Jesus. He was so good at speaking to people. He knew exactly the right thing to say. He knew how to challenge people. He knew how to get inside their hearts. And uh, he was the great evangelist. And you say, well, hold on a minute. Andrew, what is it in chapter 41? Uh, chap- chapter 1, verse 41. Andrew, yes, Andrew, he was an evangelist. He, he went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. We say, he did do evangelism. He did tell somebody, but he brought him to Jesus. Suppose there's no Jesus there to bring him to. He, he, he can't do it. 
Or the woman at the well in chapter 4, verse 42. Uh, She was a witness, wasn't she? Well, she was. But in chapter 4, verse 42, the, um, the villagers say to the woman, we no longer believe just because what you have said, we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So the, the villagers said, I'm interested in what you say, woman at the well, but I, I want to go and sit with Jesus. I'd like to have a cup of coffee with Jesus. And having done that, when they actually met him, then they became believers. We, now we know, no, Jesus can't be done. So evangelism becomes zero. And if you think... Now, of, of, of what this would mean to the disciples, just think of all the ways they had related personally to him. Uh, just in the, in, the, in the bit before, Peter has been trying to, um, been the washing of the feet. And in chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus, uh, Peter had said, you never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Simon Peter says, okay, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Do the whole thing. But you see, what got to to Peter was the idea he would have no part in Jesus. Now, Peter might have said, that's fine. I can remember, you know, I've got some of your words written down. I'll have a few photos of you. We've done a few selfies. That's fine. But, but, but he wants to have a part in Jesus. And the idea of not having a part in Jesus fills him with horror. Or what in the same, in, in the same uh, meal, John, it says in verse 25, he leant back against Jesus and had a little conversation, a little private conversation. Who's the one who's going to betray you? Sort of leant back against Jesus. And for John, the idea that there would be no Jesus to lean back against. You know, they were very close, weren't they? You'd only lean back against somebody you're really quite close to. Who is it? But no Jesus? Couldn't do that, could he? Jesus referred to these people in verse 35 as my disciples. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. You're my disciples. You're not disciples of a denomination that I'm going to set up. You're not followers of a particular philosophy which I will just leave with you. You are disciples of me, says Jesus. You're my disciples. And if there's no Jesus then who are they going to follow? What, what on earth would that mean? Chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And they'd learnt to do that. They'd learnt to trust Jesus. So he says to them, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. And they say, "Look, Really? Uh, he says get in the boat we'll go and they learn to trust him and Jesus says walk on the water not walking on water but they learn to trust him and they don't know where the food's coming from and Jesus says no problem bring me what you've got you've got some loaves and fishes that's fine and they learn to trust him and he's going away well what are they going to do 
Who are we going to bring our loaves and fishes to? Who's going to tell us what to do? And in chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, and the presumption is they did love him. So if he goes away, they're going to be sad, aren't they? If somebody whom you love goes away, you're going to miss them. And they loved him. They did what he told them. They obeyed his commands. And in chapter 15, verse 4, this is the bit about the true vine. Just imagine saying this, if you know you're not going to be there. Chapter 15, verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. What a bizarre thing to say if you're not going to be there. And he isn't going to be there. But remain in me. All these things relate to Jesus, not to Christianity as a philosophy or as a religion or a denomination where you go at a certain time, stand up, sit down, go forward, go back, sing, stop singing. These, it's not that. It's relating to Jesus himself as a person. And how could they do this if Jesus were dead and gone? Because that's the bombshell, isn't it? I'm going away. Jesus was their advisor. Lord, I'm stuck. What am I going to do about this? Jesus was their master. Jesus was their provider. Jesus was their life giver. To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, says Peter. And I think it would not be an exaggeration to say that for these men and these men and women, it had come to the point where Jesus was their everything. And if he were not there, to say that the bottom would fallen out of their world would be an understatement. Would you agree? He had become their everything. What's the point of living without Jesus? And so I ask again the question, is that a situation that you feel yourself? Or could you actually carry on with your life quite well, whether or not Jesus was alive, whether or not he'd ever existed? Could you do your religion quite well, whether or not Jesus was alive, whether or not he'd ever existed? Now, let's have a little look about what he says about going away. So, Because he, he, he doesn't just say, I'm going, full stop. Chapter 14, verse 2. Let's go back over some of these verses. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is saying, now please understand this, going away, it's not just simply like I suddenly had been to the doctor and found I've got cancer and I can't stay with you any longer. It's actually much more purposeful than that. Uh, I am going to prepare a resting place for you. So there's a sense in which it's like I'm going on ahead. Perhaps if, like if you were emigrating to New Zealand and mummy and daddy says, okay, I've got to go away. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to go away to New Zealand, we're going to buy a house, 
we're going to decorate it, we're going to get a bedroom ready for you, we're going to get a patio, we can have barbecues, because they do that in New Zealand, unless that's Australia. And we'll get, I'll get that all ready. So I'm going with that purpose. So it, there's something beneficial about that. Now, Jesus is definitely saying that. And he's also saying, verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So if you think of the emigration again, it says, Daddy's going to come back. So he'll go to New Zealand, buy the house, get it all ready, and then come back and make sure you get there. So it's just a temporary, a temporary absence and has a purpose and an end. So that puts a complexion on it. He will take them to be where he is. And then he says other things that are, are, are rather baffling. I mean, in, in chapter 14, verse 4, he says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And they say, we don't know. You haven't told us. We don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus says, well, actually you do, if you think about it. Let me explain it again. But in verse 12, he says... Now, this is rather baffling. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, okay? He will do even greater things than these, really, because I am going to the Father. Wow. How does that work? His going will put them in a position to do greater things. Wow. Okay, that's worth thinking about. Chapter 16, verse 6, his going is for their benefit. Chapter 16, verse 6, because I have said these things, you are filled with grief, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. No, Lord, that can't be right. We want you here. We want you here. We want to be able to ask you questions. We want you to be able to give us answers. We want, we want you to, to provide for us. And Jesus says, well, actually... It's better for you if I go away. There's, uh, there's advantage for you. It's even better than having me there that I go away. That's a strange thing, isn't it? But that's what Jesus says. It seems completely contrary. So it's worth, worth pondering. Uh, and let's do that. So Jesus makes promises about his going away. And I've drawn on the screen uh, a sort of... Th um, cord with four coloured threads going through it and the way it seems to me that chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 operate is to have threads that go through the whole length of that uh, section and they pop up all the way through uh, and there's themes that keep on recurring and the themes to me as, as I see it are like this there's a theme of prayer Jesus says, when, I'm go, when I go away, now prayer will become a really important thing. Prayer. Uh, there's a, a theme of loving obedience, which we'll see in a moment. There's a theme of faith in Jesus' words. And there is a theme of the personal presence and ministry of Jesus through as what he calls the counsellor or the comforter or um, is it counsellor? What have we got? Counsellor, comforter, counsellor. 
<coughs> so these four strands, what I'd like to do with the remainder of our time this morning is just have a quick look at each of them, and then we'll come back to them, God willing, in the next, uh, in the next sermon. So we'll focus on these in the next couple of weeks, and today we'll do an overview. So let's do a little overview of what Jesus says about prayer. He says, I'm going away, but don't be alarmed. Don't think everything comes to a standstill. Don't think nothing can be achieved anymore. Don't think that. Think different. Think that when I go away, you will do, chapter 14, verse 12, if you're a believer, you will do what I have been doing. So the work won't come to a crashing halt. You'll do the work I've been doing. Really? You'll be able to talk to people like I talked to the woman at the well and she came to faith and you'll be able to do that. Really? You will. You'll be able to witness in such a way that people believe you and say, now I know for certain that Jesus is the saviour of the world. You'll be able to do that. And uh, you'll do it even greater, verse 12, he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And you could go off on various tangents about the greater. I don't think Jesus is just inviting us to think of everything he did and then multiply it by a factor of 100. So I don't think he's saying that just as I raised Lazarus from the dead, you guys, every single one of you, if you just have faith in me, you'll raise 100 people from the dead. I don't think that's the way greater is operating here. I think it would be, it would be more along the lines to say, Jesus' ministry was, well, the woman at the well, and <clears throat> he walked up and down the length and breadth of Israel, didn't he? Population of whatever. I don't know what the population would have been. Um, I'm going to guess. Would it have been a couple of million? I don't know. What's the population of Switzerland? Six million? So I think not, not more than the population of Switzerland. But you will go into the whole world and make disciples. You will not just have a period of three years where you're uh, being effective in this, but you will have two millennia and more and counting of going and doing what I've been doing and seeing people come to faith. I think that's the, the way he's going on this. And... The, the fact, says Jesus, that I am absent will not mean that my power is absent because I will be working, verse 13, I will do, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So Jesus says, you see, this thing about my going away, it does not mean that everything comes to a halt. It does not mean that my power has suddenly been switched off, but it does mean that you learn to be a people of prayer because this power is there through prayer. That's what it says, isn't it? Uh, the anything is a pretty big promise, so let's, let's, not, let's not try and limit it too much 
It says anything in my name. So it's, it's not, Lord, I would like a Ferrari today. How will that glorify the Father? I don't know, but it would be very nice to have such a fast car. And Jesus said, that's not the sort of prayer I'm interested in answering, actually. It's something that will bring glory to my name. That's the sort of prayer. But anything along those lines, do pray. It's really an invitation, isn't it? It's really an invitation for the church to be a church of prayer. So I ask the question, are we people of prayer so for you, is Christianity something which you say, I can't see Jesus right next to me. He doesn't ever come to breakfast and sit in the chair next to me, but I pray to him and it's just as if he were there. Because he said, ask anything in my, and that's what I do. I pray. Let's come to the same thing, the life of loving obedience. There is a way to walk in relationship with Jesus whereby it does make all the difference that he is alive. There is a way to walk in relation to Jesus and he says, chapter 14, verse 15, it is a loving obedience. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Verse 15. If you, you, so it is still possible to love Jesus. It's not like loving J.R.R. Tolkien who is who's dead and gone. Can't have a meaningful relationship with him. But we can have a meaningful relationship with Jesus. You can love me, says Jesus. You can still do that even when I've gone and you are really loving me and I am really speaking to you. And uh, I want you to obey what I command. So look at, look at the way this is intertwined. Chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. It's him or her, obviously. Do you see how that's intertwined? Um, a walk of hearing what Jesus says, obeying what Jesus says, loving Jesus, and in that intimate relationship, the Father loves back, and Jesus loves also, and Jesus shows himself to that person. It's, it's saying, here I am in my life. I've got to this point. I've got the next step to take. Big step or a small step. Shall I take that step in the way that Jesus commanded? Shall I bear that in mind? Shall I be going that way? Or shall I go a different way? And Jesus says, the way to be in relationship with me is to take the steps in the direction that I've said. Be they big steps or little steps. And Jesus actually, in another place, he says, that's exactly how I live. I hear what my Father says, and every time I take a step, I take a step in obedience to the Father. It's not salvation by works. 
It's not saying that that earns our salvation, but it is a walk. Now I've been saved. Now I belong to Jesus. How am I going to walk? I'm going to walk, says Jesus, walk in obedience to my commands. And in particular, the commands are to love one another. That's his big command. Which way to walk next? Which way would you walk next? Which step are you going to take uh, in in 10 minutes' time? Uh, Are you going to walk with Jesus? Or will you say, right, we've finished that. It's uh, half past 12, time to go home, so we'll forget about Jesus now. How, how, how How does it work for you? So this applies to the whole of our lives, to the way we use our time to the way we use our leisure, to the way we click on web browsers, to the way we plan our finances, to the way we do our work. Jesus is saying, if you obey me, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Who who has my commands and obeys them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. Is that the way we want to walk? We don't do it perfectly. Nobody says that. I write this to you that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need that. But in principle, which way do you plan to walk? Which way is your heart set on walking? With Jesus? includes everything, includes our relationships, includes everything. Let's look at another strand, faith in Jesus' words. The only Jesus who we, is, 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 is the Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus who said stuff. There is no such person as a Jesus who never said I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't separate Jesus from the things he said. Do you remember about the wise man built his house upon the rock? Wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay, what was the rock? The word Jesus. Um, the, the man who built his house on the sand heard the words of Jesus. The man who built his house on the rock heard the words of Jesus. The man who built his house on the sand heard the words of Jesus but did not put them into practice. The man who built his house on the rock heard the words of Jesus put them into practice. It's whether you take the words of Jesus seriously. And uh, in chapter 14 and 15 and 16, it's all about Jesus saying stuff. And he talks about his commands and his teaching he just keeps on coming back to this. So I put loads of verses. What's 14.23 say? If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Verse 24, the words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Uh, verse 25, all this I have spoken to you. Chapter 15, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you can pray. So there is no such thing as a word-free Jesus. 
If we're talking about Jesus, it's Jesus who said stuff and means us to take it seriously and do what he said. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going, but I want you to live immersed in my words. Is that right? I want you to live immersed in my words. I want them to frame your every day, your every thought, your every outlook, your every attitude. So I ask, how about you? The Jesus who uh, you claim, uh, is he a Jesus who said stuff? And is he a Jesus whose words you take seriously? Or is he some other Jesus? Because there is no other Jesus. Or perhaps you're just coming towards Christian things. Would you like to learn the things that Jesus said? If that's the way to get to know him, would you like to do that? And if he told you stuff and taught you stuff, would you do it? Or would you, would you say, oh, that's very nice, file that away, put that with my National Trust membership, which I won't be looking at for another year at least. Fourth thing, the personal presence and ministry of Jesus stroke the comforter, the counsellor. And this is really at the heart of these chapters. Uh, let me just say that the, the, the counsellor the comforter, the advocate, he has different names, different ways of translating that word. Someone is coming. It's chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, he will give you another counselor. And this counselor is the Holy Spirit. And Jehovah's Witnesses would say, oh, the Holy Spirit is a force, you know, like electricity. You can get zapped by electricity. That's what the Holy Spirit might zap you. Or gravity. Gravity can pull you down off a high building with remarkable speed. That's what the drawing of the Holy Spirit is. It's just a force on you. And Jesus is saying, what I'm referring to is not an impersonal force, but a very, very special person. So chapter 14, verse 16 Here's the, the, the secret at the heart of this. I'm going away, says Jesus. I will ask the Father who will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The spirit will come, says Jesus, from the Father at my request. And that's exactly what happens on the day of Pentecost. That's what Peter says let me read it to you. Acts 2.32. God has raised this Jesus to life. We're all witnesses of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus says, I will send the Holy Spirit. And because of this, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans but Lord that, we thought that's exactly what you were going to do you said you were going to go away you said you were going to go away you said you were going to die we were going to be left as orphans we were not going to have anybody and Jesus said I will not leave you as orphans the Holy Spirit will be there 
another person will come to fill up the space that is made by my absence. And he will fill that space. Another counsellor will come. Not a thing, but a person. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the uh, famous Christian writer, wrote a book called A Grief Observed, which is when he lost his wife and he became a widower. And uh, he said that, uh, he said, she was gone. She was absent. And nothing could make up for her loss. I had the photographs. I had the letters. I even had strands of her hair in the hairbrush uh, that was on the table. But none of these could make up for the fact that I, none of these things could make up for the fact I did not have her. And Jesus says, I will not leave you just with things. I will send you a person who will be another of whatever I was to you. He will be that and he will fill that space. I will not leave you as orphans. And when the Spirit comes, he's invisible. You cannot see the Holy Spirit. He's like the wind. The wind blows where it wants and you see the effects of it, but you can't see the wind. Uh, but when he comes, says Jesus, 14.23, he says, um, when he comes, I come. When he comes, the Father comes. If anyone loves me, 14.23, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, I'm going away. You won't see me any longer, but I will send you the Holy Spirit, another counselor, and when he comes, the Father comes, I come, we are there. We are there making our home in you, with you. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. Isn't that a, an amazing thing? It is as, as mysterious to somebody who is not a Christian as it is familiar to somebody who is a Christian. Somebody who is a Christian, they say, well, it's just obvious, isn't it? When I pray, I have the sense that Jesus is right there. When I call on my Heavenly Father, I have the sense that my Heavenly Father is there, he loves me, he hears my prayers. And how is that? Well, actually, it's by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be thought of in terms of his power. It's certainly true that there is, the Spirit is a spirit of power, although he isn't usually referred to that in that way, but he is powerful. The Spirit can also be thought of in terms of his performance. So you might think of the Holy Spirit in terms of the gifts he enables people to do. So in the Bible, he enables people to prophesy, enables people to speak in tongues, cast out demons, all those sorts of things. But this text does not go down those routes. It doesn't say, you'll be really powerful when I've gone, says Jesus, or you'll be able to do all sorts of blinding stuff. 
He says, what you will do is you will have me. It's not about power or performance, but person. The Holy Spirit says, you were all worried that you couldn't have Jesus with you, and rightly so. But I will send you one who brings the presence, my presence, says Jesus, into your lives as really, as really, as really can be. And as a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit and you know the near presence of the Father and the Son. That's what being a Christian is. And I ask you, is your Christianity that? Is your Christianity that? Because if it isn't that, it's not Christianity. Well, this is very substandard Christianity. Uh, if, your, if your Christianity is coming along to a meeting now and again, that's it. It's not Christianity, is it? Christianity is communion with God. It's prayer. It's having the Lord in our lives. Do you know God, Jesus, personally in your life? Please don't be like my rather cruel picture of the Anglican who comes along, sings, sits down, stands up, copies something, closes the book, goes home. That person needs to repent and become a Christian. Because just the going through the motions, that's not Christianity. That person needs to say, I've got this wrong. I'm not what I thought I was. I'm not where I should be. I've got this wrong. Lord, you need to come and deal drastically with me so that I'm just not, not just you know, an Anglican, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, but I'm a Christian. So what have we seen? We've seen that Jesus says, I'm going away. But that doesn't mean the, the end of everything, but it means the beginning of a new way of living the Christian life, which is by prayer, by loving obedience, by faith in Jesus' words, and by the personal presence and ministry of Jesus stroke the Holy Spirit. Do you want that? Would you be content with anything less than that? Do you want that and do you want still, in the end, I still want to see his face. I still actually want him to come back. I know that while he's away I'm looked after, but I want him to come back and take me to be with himself. I want to be where he is. And if it takes a lifetime to get there, then so be it. That's a good journey. It we're a well-spent journey of seven deaths lay between. But that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be in the end, and that's where I want to be en route. Jesus says, you did know, you see. The way, the truth, and the life, it was me all the time. 